So I got a kind of rather long introduction. This will kind of just go right into the sermon today. But uh, 2020, as I just talked about with the high schoolers, it's been different, right? It's been different. It's been uh, unique. It's been hard. Um, just with even with just walking with so many families, a lot of sickness, some deaths of uh, of some loved ones. Now we all have been feeling the coronavirus situation. Now we're feeling a little bit more with the racial tensions going on. I mean, what a year! I mean. And I, I believe 2020 is the year of spiritual clarity. I can't help but think all of us are evaluating what's most important to all of us. And I want to just address the issue of the racial tension going on. And uh, it's always been there, first of all. Right? At least for those of us who have been alive, in our lifetime, it's always been there. And growing up in the 90s, uh, maybe about 28 years ago, I was in high school, and uh, I remember the Rodney King riots in 1992. It's crazy. It was intense. Similar. Police brutality, caught on film, the ruling in the courts, and then it wasn't the way that the public thought it was going to go. Then, bam, L.A. was rioting. People's buildings and businesses were on fire. Uh, merchants were having their, their weapons on top of the roof, making sure they're protecting their property and their goods. And even for our older brothers and sisters, 27 years prior to that, 1965, the Watts riots, L.A. Watts riots. So this is not anything new for L.A., certainly not new for L.A., certainly not new for our world. And uh, even I just want to share a little bit, in 2016, my last year before I retired from coaching, this is a big topic. This is a big topic that which was about to tear NFL teams apart. This is the year where players are taking a knee for, during the national anthem, and this is kind of, it got intense. We had to address it as a team and, and, and individually with one another. But what's different about 2020 is this. I, I think I've just been thinking and praying about what's different about this year is this. In 2020, compared to 1992, 1965, I mean, we have social media. Everyone is able to just post their thoughts immediately and post their opinions immediately. Everyone has some type of platform. Globally, people could just uh, read what's going on from people. No longer is it controlled by a few certain few t- for the messaging that goes out. That's one big difference now. Huge. Got to acknowledge that. But coupled with the coronavirus quarantine era, we're at home right now for the most part. There is no NBA uh, finals to, to distract us. There is no uh, going to school or graduation to distract us. It's like we're looking at things on the television, on cable, or over our devices, on social media. So now we have time to just be inundated with this situation. And, but really, without distraction, we have to think deeply what's most important. So what hap- what's happened is, for any of us who've been tracking this, it's been greater awareness of racial tensions is out there now. It's more of a global awareness, right? You go from, it's not just in L.A. or just in Minnesota. It's all over the country and in various parts of the world. It's global. So this is kind of like how our Lord, now don't ever forget, our Lord is, pro- is providential. He is sovereign over all things. He's directed every little element for it to become like this for such a time as this. I wanted to see this as a pastor of this church. First of all, no one condones police brutality. What happened to George Floyd is unacceptable. We would, anyone would be able to say that. Believer or non-believer would say, yeah, that was wrong. That's wrong. Secondly, no one would condone looting that's taking place, the violence that's taking place. No one would condone that. 
No one would condone beating up someone walking down the street because they look different. They're white. No one would condone that. Okay, I just wanted to say that ahead of time. No one condones any legal injustice that takes place. We demand and expect uh, things to be just in the court system. Absolutely. I just wanted to say that first and foremost. But as Christians now, I'm speaking for, as a pastor to Christians, to brothers and sisters indwelt by the Holy Spirit. How are we to respond? How are we to respond? I'm just trying to give some basic principles ahead of time, and then, we'll, and then the sermon will address even more how we're to respond. John 13, 25, Jesus in the Gospel of John we're in says, The world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Love. So how is the Christian to love? In, in particular, many of us at, at, in Evergreen Ashivy are Asian American. Right, how are we to show love? I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 26. I had a, the blessing of sharing this with the college group this Friday, but I'm going to share a little bit. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. The context is Paul's talking about the body of Christ, right, which has many members. And it says this, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And I think some of my background has helped me to kind of understand a little bit more. I mean, in, in almost 30 years, I was in football as a player and as a coach. And I, quite frankly, I was the minority in all those situations pretty much, right? And so whenever you're in a position as a minority, you have to learn the majority and how people think and uh, what offends, what encourages, what doesn't, what's appropriate, what's not, so that you can fit in and, and, and be a good team member. That's, that's just how it works. And I'm sure many of you guys can relate in your perhaps work situations. And so as an Asian man in football, I learned to hear from my black teammates and black coaches, from my white teammates and my white coaches and others, Polynesians and others. And what I learned is, as James 1.19 says, it's slow to speak but quick to hear. We learn is just to seek out to understand how my brother or sister is doing. And this is what you call empathy. Seeking to understand is empathy. You, you show compassion. You show concern. You show care. This is what we're called to do. This is how we bear one another's burdens. This is how we communicate love, by seeking to understand how people are doing. This is, this is the first step. And remember, we talked about it during this coronavirus. Brothers and sisters, we want to be outward thinking. Right? The Lord is taking this to a whole other level. I'm not denying any of us have gone and experienced some injustice or racism. I'm not saying that. However, the Lord is calling us to be outward thinking. Start thinking about how do my other brothers and sisters feel. And let me just be very clear. When I say the body is hurting, all kinds of parts of our body are hurting. Certainly, our black brothers and sisters are hurting. As I speak to a lot of my friends from way back to even now, this past week, they're hurting. And these are Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Our white brothers and sisters are hurting. I just get a chance to visit with my friends, and many people feel judged. Many people feel they can't even say anything that's a little bit different of what's out there right now. This is real. 
I just spoke to one of my good friends who's in law enforcement. He's a believer. There are faithful brothers and sisters serving in law enforcement who are trying to do it right, yet they're being cast into one big lot. They're hurting. I've spoken to people who've lost property over the looting situation. They're hurting. So how do we care for all the various members of the body? We have to seek to understand and, and, and communicate that we care by being empathetic. I'm trying to learn what's going on, brother, sister. I, I don't, we don't even have to understand what's going on. But are we trying to understand? And so where do we begin? I, want, I just want to start off the sermon by where do we begin? And we're going to look at God's word. Where do we begin? We're going to be at John 19. And I thought about perhaps preaching out a different text. But as I looked at John 19, where we've been, wow, our Lord speaks to the situation of John 19, even in Jesus' burial. So John 19, we're going to back up uh, to one verse from last week, verse 30, and finish up at verse 42. Now, the sermon series that we've been in is called His Suffering and Triumph. So we've been talking a lot about our Lord's suffering, right? We talked about his scourging. We talked about the rejection our Lord went through. Pastor Kenny preached on how, how Jesus, our Lord, went to the cross. A lot of suffering. We talked about how Jesus is, it is finished. He gave up his spirit and he died. A lot of suffering. But here it is now. Here's the upward trend. Now we're going to start talking about our Lord's triumph. We're going to start speaking about this. So John 19, verse 30 to 42. So if you can, please rise. If you have your Bibles, uh, follow along with me. John 19, verse 30, verse 42. Okay? We're going to see how powerful the cross is today through the preaching of God's word here. Verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished! And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus... When they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and wa water came out. Verse 35, And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? So that you may also believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scriptures. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have, who they pierced. Verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds Wait. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as, he, as is the burial customs of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, 
Since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, Lord. I pray you will be glorified, and I pray the brotherhood and sisterhood will be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Just so we could track a little bit easier, okay, I want to just give you the three points ahead of time, and then you'll see the points unfold as we come along. There are going to be three points. The first point is the cross proclaims victory. All right, if you're a note taker, you can take it ahead of time. Second, the cross proves God's justice. And thirdly, and finally, the cross saves sinners. So this is what the topic is, the power of the cross. The power of the cross. And how powerful is the cross? All right, we need to look at this. Because many of us may be feeling helpless right now. What do I do? This is global. I don't have many black friends. I don't know how to help. Am I supposed to post some kind of a, a, a social media post to lend my support of what's going on? I'm not equipped for this, right? It's just me. No one's going to listen to me. We may come into this Lord's Day feeling very helpless. How powerful is the cross? The cross proclaims victory. In verse 30 here, this is the low point for our Lord. This is the lowest point that he will ever experience, ever in eternity. And it says this, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. That's what he said. That's it. And he willingly, as Pastor Kenny preached last week, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, what does that mean, he gave up his spirit? This is the lowest point now. Our Lord suffers the wrath of the Father. He willingly dies. His human body dies. And his spirit is given up. Spirit meaning Jesus' inner being. Who he is. Keep in mind, Jesus is God. He's always existed. Have you ever wondered what happened to Jesus after he died? Like what happens from the point when he died to the point he resurrects, or what we'll preach on next week? What, what happened to the Lord during that time? And the Bible speaks to this, actually. Where did Jesus go? Luke 23, 46 says that he went to the Father. First place that he witnessed to the Father. His spirit, his eternal being, his spirit went to the Father. Jesus has always existed he continued to exist in his human death, and he, will, he continues to exist to this day. He went to the Father, Luke 23:46. But turn with me, and we'll have it also up in the notes, Colossians 2, verse 14. But in that moment, Jesus was released from the, from the human limitations. Now Jesus is... Our Lord is freed from this, and as he's in heaven, he's able to be omnipresent. What does that mean? All right, Pastor Kenny talked about some superpowers. Omnipresent means he could be anywhere at the same time. So our Lord here tells us in Colossians where he went. Perhaps this will help us feel less helpless. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he was taking he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross okay what happened now when he had disarmed now his spirit disarmed the rulers and authorities this is a demonic realm this is satan and all his fallen angels the rulers and authorities demonic beings he made a public display of them having triumphed 
over them through him. God sends Jesus to proclaim victory to the demonic realm. He's saying basically to Satan and all his demons, I have won. It is finished. It is accomplished. This is our Lord. During that time, he's able to preach to the demon world that he has won. It is finished. It's a wrap. Doom for Satan and his demons. Crushing the serpent's head. Fulfilling prophecy. In essence, Jesus dying on the cross disarmed the power of sin, Satan, hell, and death for all Christians. Picture this. Imagine an army coming in to liberate a city. I, I, I've been doing some studies on this in, in, in the 442nd, the Nisei battalion that came in and liberated parts of Italy, parts of uh, uh, France from the Axis during World War II. You can see pictures, if you search hard enough and in certain books, where they have these German soldiers with their hands behind their head and these Nisei soldiers, Japanese-American soldiers, just liberated an area in Europe. It's like that. Jesus is walking amongst the captured and defeated demons and saying, I've won and my people are free to go now. This is the picture that we have. Our, our champion, Jesus, has conquered the whole demonic realm. So therefore, since we know our champion is won, should we feel helpless? No. No, absolutely not. Even with the world in such turmoil right now, should, do we need to feel helpless? Oh, God gives us a new mindset emanating through the cross. Because of the power of the cross, Christians, brothers and sisters, have a powerful mindset. Christ on the cross gives us that power. We're victorious. We're more than conquerors, the Bible says. We no longer have to feel helpless. Oh, what can I do? We're on Jesus' team. Jesus is one at all. And quite frankly, this whole area, issue of racism is a demonic thing. It's a spiritual war. It's right here at the heart. It's really right here for all of us too. Do we have any prejudices, any hatred, any racism against anybody else? Christ says we don't have to feel that way. We don't have to bend into these lies that the demonic realm has implanted in our sinful flesh. Christ is, is declaring no mas, no more. And it's a complete mindset that the cross gives us based on reality. This isn't just some wishful thinking, oh, I could be courageous now and powerful. No, no, no. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we can be powerful. Do we understand this, brothers and sisters? Do we understand this? So it starts with the mindset, brothers and sisters. What are we to do? It's to have a powerful mindset, not because of ourselves now, certainly not because of that, certainly not because of our education or our associations or I have these type of friends, none of that. Our association with Christ is what gives us a powerful mindset. Let's not act or think in a helpless way. We're not helpless. Because of Christ, we get to have a powerful mindset. Let's go to our second point. Perhaps some of us are angry. I know I, it upsets me now when I see some of these things happening. You see replays of George Floyd. That is unacceptable. You should be angry. As a Christian, you should be angry this happening to anybody else. Every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. All right? 
You should be angry with the looting going on and, and the craziness. This is wrong. It's unacceptable. It grieves the heart of our Lord. Therefore, it should grieve our hearts. But how powerful is the cross? Point number two. The cross proves God's justice. What do you mean, Pastor? Jesus died on the cross in no unclear terms. Jesus died on the cross. His human body died on the cross. All right. Going back to uh, John 19 here. That mallet that, uh, that Pastor Kenny showed by Thor, although it wasn't made of uh, vibranium, this, these iron mallets that these Roman soldiers came to crush and break the legs of, of, of the thieves on the cross basically sped up their death. It was a Passover. It was Friday, and they, the religious rulers had a pressure before it became Friday night, sunset, which started the Passover Sabbath. They couldn't have any of these bodies hanging out on, on, uh, on the crosses during Passover. So they needed to accelerate these things. So these soldiers came and crushed these legs, boom, which, which, which caused the thieves on the cross to slump over. They couldn't get any breath, and this accelerated their death. Now with Jesus, that didn't happen. He was already dead. He goes, he already gave up his spirit in verse 30. So he's already dead. And these Romans are experts at murdering and executing people. So they knew, oh, this man's dead. We don't need to break his legs. But just to make sure, John providentially writes that one of the soldiers pierced him in the side and water and blood gushed out. This was basically to let us know and to ensure that Jesus did, in fact, die. This is critical that we know this. And then Joseph and Nicodemus come. And they get Jesus' body down. And the Father did not allow our Lord to suffer any more disgrace. Because anybody crucified on the cross, they either throw him in a ditch called Gehenna, all right, or they threw him in some kind of different tomb. But no, our Father, the Father of our Lord, allowed Jesus to be treated in death like a king now. All of Jesus' suffering and disgrace was ended. The Father would not allow it anymore. He had Joseph and Nicodemus come. He had Pilate give permission to uh, uh, Joseph to take down the body. And they get a mixture of myrrh and aloe mixture. And in, in, in the, the translation, that says, mine says 100 pounds, but in American pounds, it's roughly about 75 pounds of mixture. So 75 pounds of mixture. All right, and they wrapped him up like a mummy and put all this mixture on him and basically prepared his body for burial. So even if Jesus was alive through all that, which he wasn't, there's no way he could have survived even the wrapping. He would have been suffocated to death. So Jesus is dead. And, and when he went to Israel a couple years ago, these are some pictures of some tombs that were, they could have looked like were... The Bible describes a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, dug out of rock. There's a round stone to kind of open and close because th these, these tombs would be reused. But this has never been used before for Jesus, a tomb fit for a king. And in these tombs, as you walk in, there's these things called niches. And basically these more openings in the, in the tomb where you could put multiple bodies in there. In that sense, you would allow these bodies to decompose and rot, and eventually you collect the bones and take care of the bones someplace else. But the point is this, that John is making Jesus died. Okay, I want us to be very, very clear about this for all of us who are listening to Jesus died. Now you say, Pastor Rocky, what has it got to do with God's justice? Well, let me tell you a little bit more about God. In Ecclesiastes, in Old Testament, chapter 12, verse 14, the very last verse of Ecclesiastes, 
The Bible says that God will judge every single act, every single act, whether it's known or in secret, whether it's good or bad, every single act, every single thought in the secret parts of your heart, God will judge. God will judge. So let's let God do his job as you, we are getting angered. I trust that this is a righteous anger, but let's not let it get to a sinful, judgmental anger. We don't know all things, church family. Every act of police brutality, filmed or unfilmed, will be judged by God someday. Every looter, whether they're captured on film, on the television, or some looter that no one knows about, will be judged someday. Just rest assured, if you want justice, it's going to happen. Every racist word that's spoken or even thought will be judged someday right before God. Every judgmental thought that we've had this week and prior will be judged. Every time we've been angry with somebody unrighteously, we will be judged. Remember, Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart for another brother, you're guilty of murder, unrighteous anger, that is. So be careful now. Everything will be settled in God's courtroom. And so I just, I just want to just apply it to us a little bit. So I ask the question, where do we start? Start with ourselves. Let's start with ourselves, brothers and sisters. Let's start with ourselves. Let's take care of our plank before we take care of the speck of others. Let's seek our Lord to see if we have any prejudices that we have. Any judgmental nature. I mean, growing up Asian American, my parents are immigrants from Japan. They worked hard. They have. They sacrificed six, seven days a week, manual labor. I mean, that's what it was. Gave me an opportunity. Me and my brothers are the first ones to go to university from our family, and we've had opportunities. I got to admit, and sometimes I say, I, I, I look at certain people groups and say, why don't they just study or work hard like my parents and go to college and make a better life, right? I don't know if anyone in here or on the internet has ever thought that. But if you have thought that, just like I have, that perhaps showing that we don't quite understand everyone's situation. Just like I talked about, just as I got to go around my friends and my teammates over the last couple decades I learned everyone doesn't have start off with the same deck of cards it's not the same not everybody has both parents in the home not everyone has the economic means to do this or that not everyone's trained to think in a certain way just what it is enemy has poured lies into people's minds including yours and mine to think in a certain way to control us that's the way the way the world works so if you've ever been judgmental in any way, we need to start with ourselves. We need to repent. We need to repent. Every single sin will be settled someday. Every single sin. And this is how our God showed that he is a just God, by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Without Christ, his son... Dying on the cross, none of us in here and, over, and at home where you're watching will ever be forgiven of the sins that we've committed. 
A just God cannot say, okay, enter into my, uh, into my family. I know all the things you've done. No, no, no. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to pay the price. It's either you and me or the cross, what the Lord did on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18, you know, that will show up in your screens here. I want to just read this for us. Jesus had to die. Jesus, the innocent one, had to die so that guilty ones like you and me could be forgiven. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. One time. He, he's not going to suffer anymore. The just Jesus, the perfect one, the innocent one, the sinless one, for the unjust, that's you and me, who thought these things that we talked about, who even said some of these things, who even acted on some of these unjust, sinful things, so that he might bring us to God. There it is, so that we could have peace with God, being sons and daughters of God, having put to death in the flesh, there it is, justice was served on Jesus, but made alive in the Spirit. Someone needed to pay the price, and that was our Lord. He did it on the cross. So I want to say it again. Either the cross pays the price for sins, or the actual sinner pays the price for sins. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus paid it on the cross. God is a just God. The cross absolutely proves how just our Lord is. Absolutely. And so if you're worried about justice being served, rest assured the cross gives us that assurance that justice will be served. So this is it. You don't have to worry about these things. In terms of, in, in, in the realm of eternity, God takes care of justice. But I'm just, as our church family, let's start with ourselves, though. This is important that we know how to handle ourselves. Where are we at with the Lord? Let's go to our final point here. Maybe you're sitting there right now thinking, what can I possibly do, Pastor? What can I possibly do? What can I do? What can I do? Well, how powerful is the cross? Well, point number three, the cross saves sinners. This is it. Verse 38 and 39, two characters emerge. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, and then Nicodemus, and a member of the Sanhedrin. These are religious rulers. And they show up out of the shadows in the most prominent time. Everyone's watching this scene. That's as if you got national television, all the social media cameras, all the Facebook lives going on, and you just walk, step into the scene. That's Joseph and Nicodemus. The whole world is watching. The Jews are watching. The Romans are watching. And they, they make a courageous appeal. So Nick, Joseph of Arimathea, verse 38, says that he was a disciple but a secret one. Because why? A fear of the Jews. He was in sin. If he was a true believer, he was in sin because he was more fearful of the Jews to show himself. But now he shows himself as a disciple of Jesus. And he comes and asks, hey, Pilate, can I have Jesus' body? Can I take care of the body? Right? And he gets permission. And then in verse 39, Nicodemus shows up with Joseph and he brings 75 pounds worth of material to, to uh, bury Jesus' body. And I just want to spend a few moments here talking about Nicodemus a little bit. Nicodemus is interesting. Joseph of Arimathea is spoken in all four Gospels. 
But just pretty much at, at the end right here, in this part of Jesus' life. But jo Nicodemus, who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is only mentioned in John. But throughout John, there's like three separate instances where John talks about him. And this is significant, because John, the apostle John, who, what do you call himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved, right? He was all about relationship. He was all about love and relationship. And John talks about the Trinitarian love between father and son, right? And constantly talking about certain relational aspects. John documents a tender uh, interaction with Jesus had with a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? John documents how his friendship to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha was so important to him. Relationship. So when verse 39 right here says it's Nicodemus who first came, who had come to him by night, that brought my mind all the way back to John chapter 3, where Nicodemus is first talked about. John chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. We're going to spend a few moments seeing how this relationship unfolded. Like Nicodemus had a special encounter with Jesus at night, the first time he came by him at night. John chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a man... Of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a prominent man. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus has this private encounter. He goes to see Jesus at night. Now, brothers and sisters, you're sitting here or at home, what is the most famous Bible verse that comes to mind? What is the most famous Bible verse? You go to football games in the end zone. People are holding up the sign. People put eye blacks. They put like uh, this verse uh, on their faces. They, they may, people who aren't even Christians may have heard this, you know. For me, and maybe for many of us, is John 3.16. Right? John 3.16. John 3.16. If you haven't heard it, it says this. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, how did this Bible verse get so famous? Because this was not like a sermon that Jesus is preaching to the masses. This is a very tender, private word just for Nicodemus, a custom word just for Nicodemus. Jesus is tenderly coming after Jesus, uh, Nicodemus in this moment. I believe they had a relationship. I believe they had a relationship from this point on, from John 3 on. And as you ask this question again, Pastor, Pastor, give me some guidance. What does the Bible say that I, what I can do? Look at the model that our Lord gives us here out of John chapter 3. Once we start with ourselves and we deal with the sins of our own prejudices and our own hates, who has God given us in relationship with at work? at school, at church, at your gyms that we're going to be able to go back to someday. Who has God given you a relationship with? Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus. I know Jesus is God and he controls all things, but who has God sending into your life? And just like I talked about before, seek to understand. Think, be outward thinking. Seek to hear people's stories. And this communicates love. This absolutely communicates love. Jesus talks about, for God so loved the world. This is how you show your love, by seeking to understand. Empathy. 
Brothers and sisters, do we show empathy with the people who we know and people that look like us even, but even people who don't look like us for such a time as this, right? Empathy, this communicates love for your brother or sister or even a non-believer. And so the issue that Nicodemus is talking about is how is someone reborn? How do I have eternal life? Well, I'm just going to read a couple of verses prior to John 3:16, John 3:14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus is saying this to him, he's proclaiming this, even so the son of man must be lifted up. Where does Jesus go? Does he get into some kind of a uh, some kind of religious argument or some political talk? No, he goes right to the cross. He goes, as the serpent was lifted up, if you want more background on that, look up Numbers 21 later. Moses basically lifted up an iron serpent, and as the Israelites were bitten by uh, venomous snakes, they're dying, uh, God gives them a way to be healed. They look to the cross, look to this. And as the people looked, they were healed. And this is what Jesus does, the same thing here. Verse 15, so whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Nicodemus, if you want to have eternal life, look to the cross. He was telling him that he would be lifted up someday. And I can't help but think when Nicodemus was in that moment, back to John 19, it says Jesus nailed to the cross. His mind and heart must have exploded. My Lord told me about this. There was a relationship. There was a relationship between the two. Jesus simply looked to and preached the cross. Back in 2009, this is a kind of a fun story I like to tell at times, and Pastor Kyle, you know, Pastor Kyle Shimazaki of Seeds of Life, one of our own who's church planted Seeds of Life, and I were invited to go uh, meet Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is a pastor, uh, kind of an evangelist uh, of, of Harvest Christian Fellowship. He's his church. So we went down to Orange County, had lunch with him and, and Pastor Greg and his friend. And Pastor Kyle asked this question. The always inquisitive pastor that he is, he said, Pastor Greg, what would you tell a younger evangelist like me? Right, and then that really, Pastor Greg, he must be eating a salad or something. He kind of perked up, like, "Why? Oh, that's a good question." He goes, "Hey, I asked the same thing to when I was meeting with Billy Graham, <laughs> right?" So we, Pastor Greg was able to connect us to Billy Graham at least through story, and he he asked him the same thing. He goes, "Hey, Billy, what would an older Billy Graham, I don't know how old he was at the time, tell a younger Billy Graham?" Same thing, just like Pastor Kyle, Pastor Greg Laurie has a very evangelistic heart. And this is what Billy Graham said. I will spend more time. I will spend more time preaching on the blood and the cross because that's where the power is at. That's what he said. It's Billy Graham. I never forget that. This is where the power is when we preach the blood and the cross. So in John 19... Let me just draw some parallels from today to John 19, 2,000 years ago. In John 19, what was the climate? Well, let me just point out a few things that might sound like, hey, that sounds like today. Was there civil unrest? Absolutely. The Jews are protesting. We know this. We, we talked about it in past sermons. Was there racism? Absolutely. Jews and Gentiles. No question. 
And if you want to know if racism existed in the early church, just look up Galatians and you see how Peter responded to the Gentiles and, the, and when the Jews showed up. Was there oppression? The Roman Empire is in power. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was there injustice? Look at Jesus was condemned to death. No question. So when Nicodemus saw the cross, all that went away. Boom. What he told me was true. What he told me was true. Today we have the same things going on. Such a turbulent time. And what is our strategy? Christians, think about now. Where have your energies and your focus been gone to? Oh, we need a new president? Is that what, you're, what you've been talking and preaching and thinking about? Oh, we need some laws. We need some, law, some laws to legislate uh, not hating each other. Is that what you're thinking? Or, oh, we need to get some good judges to make sure we get justice. All those things may be helpful. But none of these things are the things that we're called to dive into primarily, brothers and sisters. Where did Jesus go? Jesus went to the cross. We cannot, the government cannot legislate morality. You can't, there's not a law that says you're supposed to love one another and people will actually do it truly. It's a sin problem. It's a sin issue, brothers and sisters. It starts with us and others around us. Point them to the cross. Point them to the cross. The cross gives us the most powerful word that we could ever give anybody. You want to make a change? Start with yourself and build that relationship with your neighbor and preach the cross. That's what you could do. And have them do the same thing. Remember, Jesus, his first sermon that he ever preached when he, when he started his public ministry was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't necessarily there to change Rome. He was there to have people repent so they could join his king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is not of this world either. Although we're called to love our neighbors. And one of the best ways that we could do that is just seek to understand, show empathy. That's why we preach Christ and him crucified, period. Is that the message of our lives? Do we preach Christ and him crucified? For the word of the cross is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is the power of God. You want to unleash God's power? Speak the word of the cross. Tell people what Jesus did for them. And this is communion Sunday, and I can't think of a better Sunday. Some of us get to gather, although there's about 60 of us in here, and I know there's many at home. And, and, and today we get to take communion. What is communion? Well, for the church, this is something that our Lord has given us. This is called to be the most unifying time in the, in the life of the church. This is the most unifying time in Evergreen SUV. This is it. Communion. Communion represents the broken body of Christ as he hung on the cross. Communion represents the blood that poured out of his body for the, to pay for the the sins of you and me. Communion, this is what this is about. Now it's important now, I get it, I want to acknowledge some possible divisive things that could be happening in the life of the church and maybe even our church. It is coronavirus time. And as I get to talk to many people, there's a, various, there's a spectrum from how people feel about the coronavirus and everything in between. 
That could be a divisive thing where we just say, hey, how come you don't see it the way I do? How come you're not taking it as serious as I do? Why don't you lighten up? It's not that serious. It's all there. It's also with this civil unrest. There's a lot of things going on. People are different things, and it, get, it could get very political. Could it not? And even I'll just point this out. Maybe this is not an issue for most. I've granted it's probably not, but, you know, maybe when we start opening this up to, to the public, why do some people get to be here and others don't? Right? That, that could be a tension in people's hearts. I don't know. As a pastor, I just want to just speak on these things. Remember, brothers and sisters, it isn't our political knowledge. It isn't our scientific knowledge on the coronavirus. It, those aren't the things that unify us. It isn't even if we're here together or not. Although I love it, being together, and I long for the day for us to be together someday, fully. It's Christ. Christ is the one that unifies us. So as we get to sing this song, as Pastor Terry leads us in song here in a moment, let's prepare to take communion. Let's be unified. We're going to take it together. All of us are going to stand in here who consider ourselves Christians. We're going to do it. We're going to take it together. And online, we're going to be taking it together. So get your elements ready. However, more importantly, get your hearts ready. Bible says to take communion in a worthy manner. If there's any prejudice, if there's any of those things, any sin issues that you're dealing with, if there's any disunity with any brothers or sisters within the church family, let's do, do, do business with the Lord during this time in song. And then so when I'll come back again, and we have our prepackaged communion cups for those of us in here, just in case you were wondering, we have those prepackaged deals. I'll show you what it looks like in a second. Let's take communion in a worthy manner and know that we're taking it together and know that we're unified in Jesus Christ. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for this time for, to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that your word will give us greater encouragement, greater confidence in the power that, is, that radiates from the cross, the power that's been given to us Christians. Father, I pray for those of us who are listening today that they, don't, they know that they're not in you, your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they will repent, basically agree that they are sinners and turn away from their sins and turn to you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they will believe in you, Jesus, that you paid for our sins on the cross. So, Father, I thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts to worship you, through communion, I pray this would unify the church family, galvanize us, have our hearts knit together in your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, we love you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.